Good morning and welcome back to the Bottom of the Barrel Report, the podcast where we dredge through the absolute filth that is the bottom of cinema. I'm Katie Leary, and we're glad to have you with us today. Today, I am your host, and I am joined by all previous hosts of the podcast. Welcome, everybody. Hello, I'm Daniel. Hi. How's everybody doing today? Pretty good. Yeah, th- things are going great. What's up? Yeah, it's early, but I'm here. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to see what mystery thing we're doing today. I will be glad to tell you. As you all may have noticed, this is a bit of a different type of episode than you may be used to hearing from us. Today, I will be hosting, and we will be going through some of the up-and-coming news in the cinema world. As we go through these reports, I will refer to our fellow hosts for input, opinion, etc. Are you all ready? Couldn't be more ready. I've never been more ready. (laughs) I mean, I think I can do it. It's fine. Let's get started. So first and foremost, we will be addressing, we're going to go through this report of movies releasing in September 2022. So this is kind of going through um, kind of the movies that we saw a year ago today. Um, Since, unfortunately, we cannot go through the movies that are are releasing this September due to the strike. um, We're going to kind of reminisce on the movies that we saw a year ago today. Okay. Anybody have any ideas of the movies they watched a year ago? I have zero memory. (laughs) I don't watch movies. (laughs) I remember, uh, I'm pretty sure Smile was a year ago today. And then I I saw Smile and Don't Worry Darling in the double feature. Well, let's get into it. So first and foremost, we've got um, Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul. (laughs) Oh, um, the film marks the featured debut of Ad- me for saying this. Um, Adama Ebo, who produced alongside her twin sister, Adane Ebo. Please excuse my pronunciation. I'm just a bad white person. <laughs> bad white people. <laughs> it released in theaters and on Peacock on September 2nd. I remember trailers for that movie. It looked pretty pretty cool, pretty fun. Produced by Jordan Peele, I'm pretty sure, right? One of the producers. I just told you the producer. <laughs> the only producer? I'm... I don't know. <laughs> I remember about that time that all... I think trailers for the second Avatar movie were coming out. Oh, yeah. That's all I remember. <laughs> Sorry, I'm looking up producers. I don't think Jordan Peele. Or Daniel Kaluuya. Sorry. No, that's not it. It was another movie that like wasn't a horror, but it was produced by Jordan Peele. I can't remember what it was, though. I mean, I there was that animated that. movie. Sorry. No, it's okay. I remember something like that. I don't remember what it was. Which animated movie? It was a, a stop motion. Um, oh, Wendell and Wild. Yes, Wendell and Wild, which was really good. Oh, yeah, Wendell and Wild was great. Did that come out 2022, October? I'm pretty sure that was last year, yeah. Yeah, it came out 2022. Um, let me see what month. 
wild. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, October 21st, 2022. So uh, a month later than we're talking about last year. Uh, we'll be moving on to Pinocchio. It released on Disney Plus on September 8th. Uh, starred, uh, excuse me, it was directed by uh, Robert Zemeckis. Uh, starred Tom Hanks as Geppetto. And Cynthia Erivo as the Blue Fairy. And Joseph Gordon-Levitt lends his voice as Jiminy Cricket. Are you serious? Joseph Gordon-Levitt. That's so wild. I heard that movie was dog. Yeah, I heard it was pretty rough. And then, like, Guillermo del Toro's also came out somewhat similar, correct? I forgot that the two of them were being yeah. made around the same time. Because in mm-hmm. January of that year, I think, was the, the fucking Polly Shore one. Like, uh, Dad, when can I go out on my own? <laughs> oh, I yeah. have the whole world to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like that one like, just overshadowed any other Pinocchio. Which is wild, because one of the Pinocchios won an Oscar. Right. Yeah. It did. Yeah, the Del animated? Toro one. I think it was Del Toro. It definitely wasn't Robert Zemeckis. No, it was mm-hmm. Del Toro, yeah. Hmm. All right, so entering the world of horror, in sep- in oh, sorry, I'm getting phased by my uh, voice in my head. Um, releasing in theaters on September 9th was Barbarian. Oh, home share horror has become a subgenre of its own thanks to films like The Rental and You Should Have Left. Writer director Zach Krieger's Barbarian is the latest edition about a young woman who discovers her rental home has been double booked with a stranger, played by Bill Skarsgård. When she decides to stay the night, she makes some unsettling discoveries that were not mentioned in the house listing. Hmm. I heard good things about it. It's pretty good. Um, the uh, I guess that gets, gets kind of in spoilers. Um, I say it's pretty good for the, I say it's pretty good for the most part. I thought it was <laughs> your favorite of twenty twenty two horror. Probably. I don't know what else came out. Oh, no, well, Pearl came out in 2022. I'd say it's probably Pearl and then... Well, X also came out in 2022, I guess, right? That's valid. Yeah, or was we that did... 22? No, that would have been 22, because we saw Pearl in theaters. Yeah, you showed me X, and then we watched Pearl in theaters. Yeah, X came out in, like, February or something. Pretty sure. For those of you that haven't watched it, highly recommend Barbarian. I really enjoyed it, personally. The poster yeah. looks very like '80s horror homage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's yeah, uh, even quite literally a scene, a flashback to the '80s in it. Hmm. I think it was during this film that it got like to the halfway point, and I really thought it was an anthology horror mm-hmm. because it like dramatically shifts to another scene with another character. Yeah. And I thought it was the anthology. Like yeah. it, it really tripped me up. Yeah, that's, that's one of the reasons why studios didn't want to produce it is because uh, of just the story structure, and they thought it was dumb. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. I liked it a lot. Hmm. Just as a reminder, we don't support big studios like uh, Giznep or any of those until they pay their writers and actors fairly, which is uh, yeah. apparently coming soon, from what I can read. Yeah. Yeah, and um, uh, one thing I one thing that I'm excited about with the writer's strike is uh, apparently they're gonna continue it with like also game studios. Yeah, game uh, game studios are uh, uh, 
the developers are are about to go on strike. Yeah, yes. and FX Studio, like Mar- the Marvel um, CGI crew. Good. Yeah, yeah. I, I heard that even CGI producers or CGI artists weren't getting paid fairly, which I think is bizarre for how much work yeah. they put into right. it. And especially, right. I think it was, uh, I think that really came, it really revealed its head with The Flash. For um, sure. Because those animators were in, and also uh, um, the recent uh, Spoderman movie. Um, like yeah, the I, animators worked so hard and for very little pay. Right. Like, I heard it a lot with like um Doctor Strange and like the Miss Marvel TV show. Yes, mm-hmm. there was a lot of uh, pushback on that, which yeah. I think is really bizarre that Marvel wouldn't pay their it's their Disney CGI though. artists. What's that? Disney owns Marvel, so it's the right. Disney people. But Marvel's right. entire thing is CGI, so it's really bizarre that. They wouldn't be paid fairly. Yeah, and like also apparently it was very rushed. And like even if like and the main problem with like how a lot of these studios run is how like if they can't if they don't have people who like want to do the work for a little pay, they outsource they outsource their work to studios that will like pay their like animators less. Yeah. That's so bizarre to me. Yeah. Yeah. I know that yeah. they they keep the reason that they part of the reason that they film so much like green screen and not on site is because they change so much last second that it's easier just to do it as CGI and push it onto the CGI artist to make like them overwork. And it, in a short uh, time, it's interesting because it calls back to uh, the other writer's strike in was it two thousand eight two thousand nine? Um, I don't remember. Uh, and one of the big movies that got affected by that was Transformers 2, Revenge of the Fallen. Um, mm-hmm. The writers went right uh, went on strike right before that movie started shooting, and they didn't have a script, so they kind of just went page by page. If you couldn't tell, we've been watching a lot of video and essays of Transformers movies. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like Transformers. Leave me alone. Fair. Um, moving on, uh, in releasing in theaters on September 16th was The Woman King, directed by Gina Prince-Blythewood and co-starring John Boyega, um, and, uh, and starring Oscar winner Viola Davis, um, um, Lashana Lynch and Sheila Atim. The Woman King tells the true story of how the army defeated their African kingdom of, uh, excuse me for my bad pronunciation, uh, the Hoimi in the 1800s. Interesting. I remember, weirdly enough, my mom and my sister watching this when I was home for a couple days. I remember them watching this, and it looked very interesting and very good. Obviously, anything with Viola Day, oh, excuse me, Viola Davis is going to be amazing. Top mm-hmm. tier. Yeah. Did she? Yeah. Uh, she didn't get nominated for that, or she did get nominated, but she didn't. Win. I don't know. Let me go look. I. I feel like 80% sure that she got nominated. Yeah, because Michelle Yo won. But... Mm-hmm. I remember I my... A lot of nominations. Yeah, my, my partner was talking about how it was kind of up in the air because it was such a stacked like um, nomination here. Interesting. There's, this is a really interesting article from Entertainment Weekly. 
nominated for nothing, the Academy is on the wrong side of history with the Woman King snub. The Academy overlooked the powerful brilliance of Viola Davis starring action epic. They're destined to score zero from uh, Academy Awards, but they won our attention throughout a year and award season like no other. Ahead of the 95th Oscar ceremonies on March 12th, EW is breaking down the year's best movies for performances and directorial achievements that were nominated for nothing. Wow. Really interesting that it did. Hmm. I mean, not surprising, though. Um, I can uh, read this little, like, um, snippet of why it wasn't nominated if you guys would like yeah i'd like to hear that okay it's gonna be a little bit lengthy so i I apologize um this is from entertainment weekly like i said um despite being a critical box office success there was quite a bit working against the woman king drama is king after all when it comes to comes to the academy's love so genre films often have a harder time cracking major categories like best actress and in this year's race, a typically crowded field, the surprising the surprise nomination of Andrea Risenborough was comp, uh, complicated things. But when taking into account the film's complete snub, along with that of Till, issues of representation and hashtag Oscars so white demands discussion. No black woman has ever been nominated for Best Director, a run that could have been broken by the woman king's Gina Prince Blythewood. Um, excuse me, the call to make history apparently wasn't enough. Throughout the award cycle, Davis and Prince Blythewood both shared how hard it was for them to get out to just to get the film made. Even with successes like Black Panther, Get Out, and Girls Trip, there's a belief that black films don't travel or don't garner overall appeal. In an opinion piece for The Hollywood Reporter, Prince Blythewood wrote, quote, as I moved through this award season, I was struck by the Academy members who simply didn't want to see the film. People thought it was a compliment at some of our screenings to tell me they had been dragged there because they didn't think it was a film for them, end quote. A major issue is that many didn't see The Woman King, both figuratively and literally. That's crazy. People people brag, or not bragging, but people like complaining they were dragged to go see a movie for the Academy Awards. That's like, that's insane. That's really hurtful and really hateful. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, unfortunately, for movies that, like, are geared towards minority groups, you get a lot of people who, like, like, especially, like, um, like, just, like, very asshole conservative reviewers who, like, watch the movie or don't even watch it, but give, like, very, like, oh, I predict that this movie is about this. And just spreading a lot of like hate and like just mm-hmm. bad emotions around a movie that it, for people that see that they're going to naturally just steer away from the movie because like they have bad like emotions related to the movie and it just happens a lot with even with like very popular movies that everyone watches like some people like you, you, they like they attack like so many different movies with just constant like oh this movie's going to be terrible because i saw the trailer and this isn't what movies are supposed to be about it's like you see it everywhere and i feel like a lot of people get turned away from movies that they would otherwise love and it's yeah. it sucks yeah I, I mean black panther it was it's like this when it came out in 2018 the statistic says that it it's second second most money grossed behind uh, Avengers Infinity War. 
Like, For sure. you know, Black Panther was a movie that I'm sure a lot of people were like, oh, the audience that this is geared toward isn't going to show up or it's not that big of an audience, whatever. And it was crazy successful. Like, they obviously have no idea what they're talking about. For sure. I feel like movies like that that are geared t- towards a specific audience are often um, people like automatically assume um, things um, very quickly about films like that. That, yeah. Like you said, Daniel, that, that the audience just isn't going to show up or it's just not going to perform well, even though it's objectively a great film. Yeah. Like, yeah. Even look at Barbie. Barbie was geared towards women and, and people were like, oh, it's probably not going to do that well. And it was gangbusters. Broke over a billion, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. I would yeah. imagine so. Yeah, like there's like movies that definitely break through. Like, it's like, cause like, I feel like Barbie, Everything Everywhere All at Once, like mm-hmm. movies that just like are meant to be about like specific experiences. And it's like, yeah, it's definitely for, for people with those experiences, but it, it, like every, anyone can just find enjoyment and attachment in these movies. And it's, yeah, I feel like a majority of like how people on like YouTube or news outlets or stuff like that talk about movies, a lot of it is about talking about the hatred of it and just hating on these things and how they're going to fail, because that's what probably gets them the most views. But it's it's, I really hope there's like more done to just, uh, I just uplift these movies and get them watched more. Yeah, sure. yeah I agree. Um, moving on from that, that was a really great discussion, guys. Yeah. But um, moving on, uh, released in theaters on September 23rd was Don't Worry, Darling. Olivia Wilde's sophomore film features Florence Pugh and Harry Styles in a step 40 psychological thriller about a newlywed couple who moves to the seemingly idyllic community of victory. But, of course, not everything is as it seems. The cast also includes Chris Pine, Gemma Chan, uh, Kiki Lane, Nick Kroll, Kate Berlant, and Wild herself. Hey, guess what? Hey, guess what? Guess what? Guess what? Guys? Right. It's, hey, guess what? Guess, 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 what the, guess what kind of tree I have? Okay. A, a pine tree? That's a crisp pine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's a vine. Have you guys not seen that one? I, no, I guess not. I'm sheltered. I don't know things. <laughs> I've seen many vines, and I've not seen that one, as far as I remember. I remember um, all the hype about Don't Worry, Darling. And all of the goddamn drama. Oh, I forgot about the drama, but that, there was a lot of that. It, that. Yeah. The movie was also not great. I mean, it was fine. But... I remember uh, a lot of... Chris Pine. Yeah, I was going to say, I remember the, the like interviews where uh, Harry Styles was just saying some nonsense about like movies are movies I love that movies movie, I, are movies that's what this is from oh, mm-hmm. oh a movie just feels like like a movie <laughs> and then Chris Pine's like what <laughs> that him and I, Olivia Wilde dated for like the duration of that and Nick Kroll was kind of on like damage control for the yeah. entire like uh, premiere Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't like Nick Kroll, but like he had a lot. Yeah, definitely. Um, Wait, didn't Nick Kroll? Nick... Who did he kiss at the premiere? Uh, oh, Nick Kroll uh... and somebody like kissed. Like, 
Yeah, really I, I, don't, I don't remember who it was, though. I will look it up. But yeah. That Harry be... Styles? Did Nick Kroll kiss Harry was... Styles? I don't think it was Harry, was it? Um, but yeah, that movie was not, uh, not great. Yes, Harry Styles oh, plans kiss on Nick Kroll. Oh, wow. Hmm. And then he spit on Chris Pine. <laughs> oh, he didn't actually. <laughs> Allegedly. There was a video. It looked like he leaned down and spit in Chris Pine's lap. Hmm. Oh, yeah, I do. I do remember that now. Because it, it really does look like he spit in Chris Pine's lap. It really does. Yeah. Because Chris the Pine angle. has like a visceral reaction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, like, something happened. For sure. Um, yeah. No, that movie. It just. And also. Just the high, because it looked really good in the trailers, um, mm-hmm. and it just just wasn't. Yeah. Um, moving on to the very end of September in theaters, September thirtieth was Smile. Writer director Parker Finn's horror flicks is uh, horror flick is like The Ring, but with pearly whites. When an unseen presence smiles upon its victims, their faces twist into a malevolent grin before they die a gruesome death. When Dr. Carter Rose, uh, Sosie Bacon, daughter of Kevin Bacon, and Kyra Sedgwick encounters the titular smile, she has one week to find answers or meet the same fate. I am obsessed with Smile. Yeah, this is your favorite horror movie, isn't it? This is. It holds the um, the slot for one of my most favorite horror movies. Definitely, like, recent horror release, for sure. Hmm. Um, only, well, not only, but mainly because it's one of the first horror movies to actually scare the shit out of me. Like, yeah. I remember going home and not being able to sleep after this. Isn't it? Some people I've heard say that it um, is a metaphor for like mental illness and depression. Is that a is that a thing? Definitely, yes. It's a it's it's like I kind of um, compare it to Hereditary. It's a grief film. For sure. It's it's an overwhelming amount of trauma and depression. And mm-hmm. I think it really did speak to uh, mental illness and things like that. Especially when the main character is a, a therapist. Um, and kind of a, um, a good representation of a therapist as well. At the beginning. She kind of... It, see, I thought this movie was good. I just, for me, it was too formulaic to all of the curse movies. Like the that the description said it, it's like the ring, but with teeth. And I'm like, it's a almost a direct rip off of the ring, and movies like that. Um, I can agree with you completely, the, honestly. The, the thing that sets it apart, though, I think the cinematography is amazing. Oh god, don't um, even get me started on the end scene, like it, the final scene. The ending scene's really good, except for the very, very end. I like the ending. There's like a really good bit in between the beginning of the third act and the ending um, that I think is really good. Uh, Although the ending just kind of it lessens the message or the theme quite a bit. Um, It definitely gives you a mixed message as to what this movie is supposed to be about. Sure. Um, there was kind of like this message that maybe she was going to beat the cycle of trauma and like overcome it, and then it, and then it she just, just didn't falls flat, and you're left kind of puzzled as to what the 
the filmmakers were trying to get across. Sure. Which I feel like if the movie had a, I don't know, it just it it, it paints a a bleak ending for, because I mean the movie is about mental illness. So if you look mm-hmm. at it from that lens, it paints a kind of a bleak picture of of the the outcome of that. Sure. Yeah. I have to say, while it is um kind of a puzzling ending, the monstrosity is oh, the amazing. Oh, fucking fantastic. I highly recommend if you guys are okay with it, go look up the smile monster. It's incredible. Well, um, apparently, Smile Two in twenty twenty four is gonna happen. If you, you stole still- my thunder, thank you, Jake. We do have a nice segue in into our next uh, story. Um, Smile Two has set its release date. This is an article from Deadline. Um. In addition to dating its new Mean Girls movie theatrically, Paramount has set October 18th, 2024 for the next Smile movie. Um, Smile was a diamond in the rough for Paramount last fall, getting moved from Paramount Plus and morphing into a blockbuster hit, grossing over $105 million domestic and $217 million plus worldwide. Wow. The pick rained cash on theaters at a time when most studios had moved several movies out of the autumn due to the post-production backup of movies caused by the pandemic. Um, the only thing we really know about Smile 2 is that Parker Finn is coming back to helm Smile 2. The cast is still TBD due to the strikes. The studio just wanted to grab the date. Paramount Pictures' Brian Robbins announced Smile 2 back at CinemaCon. In addition, the studio is moving the animated movie The Tiger's Apprentice from, the- from theatrical to Paramount+. Plus. The pick was pre- previously dated at January 19th, 2024, et cetera, et cetera. So we really only know the release date and that Parker Finn is coming back for Smile 2. And that, even that's tentative, depending on how long the strike goes on. It is, yes. Paramount mm-hmm. really just wanted to grab the release date. Yeah, so they wanted to like set a release date before the movie's being made. Right. Basically, mm-hmm. yeah. Hmm. And I think it's. I'm kind of um, conflicted on this whenever Gabe actually brought this up before we started recording, but um, I'm really conflicted on whether Smile needs a sequel because they set up the ending pretty well for a sequel. However, I don't think that type of movie needs a sequel. Um, I think where they left it was fine and it should just stay there. I, Of course, I will end up go- going and seeing Smile too. But um, mm-hmm. I don't think this kind of kind of film needs a sequel. To smile, too furious. Please don't. <laughs> I hope we get ten sequels. Oh God, no! Mm. Not like Saw. <laughs> if they yeah, turned so. it into something where every single character had a very distinct like story with it, it could be fine. But I don't want them to do a do a. Um, Oh my god. What's the, the ghost face horror movie? Scream? Scream. Scream. Did you, did you just say Scream? Or did you say Saw? Saw. Scream. Okay. The, yeah, I'm thinking, okay. Yeah. I don't want them to do the thing where they do with Scream, where there's a bunch of movies and they kind of reuse characters occasionally. You know what I mean? That would be an interesting, like, anthology movie. Yeah. If they did, like, one movie with the backstories of all the people that died in the first one. Like their mm-hmm. stories, that would be kind of cool. The thing with Scream, <laughs> <laughs> um, like 
Scrappy is a little bit different. I can see the argument for Saw because it just it's the same thing over and over and over. With Scream, at least it gets more creative. Um, mm-hmm. The reason why I, I don't like five and six um, because they're it five came out in the wave of legacy sequels uh, or legacy requels for horror. Um, it's when the 2018 Halloween came out, uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the newest one kind of came out in that same vein, um, and it just did not, I, I don't think Texas Chainsaw worked at all, and I don't think, Scream could have been a lot better, I just don't, The Scream 5 I thought was a good movie until the end, Scream mm-hmm. 6 I thought was a bad movie um, that could have been saved by the end but it didn't go the way that uh, I thought that it was going. Uh, I don't know why I sounded like a, a Southern gentleman. A Southern? Maybe, but, uh, <laughs> I thought you were just getting it with a Southern. A southern, but... Uh, uh, yeah, my, my yeah. personal hope for like horror movies is that we start getting um, Smile versus Insidious. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Smile versus Annabelle. Like, all, The Nun. Just get, get this... <laughs> Fully lean into how uh, dumb the sequels are. Yeah, that'd be fun. Versus Jigsaw, but it's not like John Kramer. It's just Billy the Puppet. <laughs> For some reason, they do like in The Exorcist in there. Yes. Oh, that'd be great. Reagan falling around. Which also, uh, The Exorcist, the new Exorcist is also in the same vein as those legacy requels because it's. It's the same story, but like one of the original characters is coming back. The stupid. They don't need to be making it. Yeah, for yeah. some of these movies, like I don't even know who the like the people from the original movie are because they're just like I don't. They're just generic people, and it's like, oh, they're back. I do not care. And that's right. uh, one of the shitty things about specifically the new Texas Chainsaw one is that like they bring back Sally, but Marilyn Burns had passed away, so it's a different actress. So we don't care. Um, and also, she just brought back in a, a weird way, just to be spoilers killed off. That's lame. Not that anyone here was going to watch that movie. Thank God. <laughs> All right, I am going to have to keep us moving along. We have spent a long time on the uh, <laughs> yeah the movies right. from last year. Katie's like, I have so much planned. I do. I have so many articles. Down. How much time have we spent so far? Uh, thirty-four minutes. Damn. Okay. So Beautiful. our next article is um, from the Hollywood Reporter. This is by Chris Gardner. Um, LGBTQ representation in film hits peak, while guild guilds caution strikes risk progress. While 28.5 percent of 2022 movies featured an LGBTQ character, the highest number in the history of the study, the adv- advocacy group and Hollywood labor unions also quote challenge film studio leadership to reach a fair deal or risk erasing gains made in representation, end quote. Uh, GLAAD, G-L-A-A-D, has released the 11th installment of its uh, Studio Responsibility Index, an annual study that tracks, quote, the quantity, uh, quality, and diversity, end quote, of LGBTQ characters in films released in a calendar year by 10 Hollywood distributors. The result found that of 350 titles released in 2022, 100 films, or 28.5%, featured an LGBTQ character, marking the highest number recorded in the time GLAD has conducted the study. It should be noted, however, that in today's peak content landscape, the number of films tracked has also increased, 
her glad. In those 100 films, there were 292 LGBTQ characters, including 117, or 40% characters of color. Of the 292, 163 were men, 119 women, and 10 non-binary. Seven of the women characters and six of the men were transgender. The showings, excuse me, the showings marked a record number of non-binary characters. Also a record, 12 of 350 films included a transgender character. 11 LGBTQ characters were counted with a disability, also a high. While the data shows gains for LGBTQ representation, not all characters had significant screen time. Over half of the LGBTQ characters, 165 of 292, or 56%, turned up in less than five minutes of the film, while 86 of those appeared for less than one minute. While 95 characters, 33%, clocked over 10 minutes, 11% were between five and 10 minutes, and 27% clocked between one and five minutes. That's crazy. Like, hearing it put out in numbers like that? Yep. Because, you know, you feel like the representation's getting, like, better? That's because it's the bare minimum at this point. Yeah. Like, it finally went from almost zero representation to, like, oh, hey, we have a couple. (laughs) Right. Here's a little bit more context for you guys. For the 2022 report, GLAD increased the number of studios it tracked from 7 to 10 distributors. The companies include A24, Amazon Studios, um, a a number of others. Um, For the first time, three studios earned a a grade of good based on their offerings, including A24, NBC Universal, and the Walt Disney Company. Per GLAD, no studio has yet snagged an excellent rating. A24 released the Oscar-winning Best Picture, Everything Everywhere All at Once, Bodies, 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 The Inspection, The Whale, and After Sun, all of which contained LGBTQ characters. NBC Universal released Bros, Nope, Tar, Spoiler Alert, and They, Them. As for Disney and its subsidiaries, the studio is credited with Lightyear, Strange World, Fire Island, Rush, Zombies 3, and Better Nate Than Ever. All movies I don't think anybody has seen. We've yeah. seen bodies, bodies, bodies. I meant like everything, as everywhere. far as the the Giznet ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, A twenty four definitely does the best. Yeah, it's yeah. it's yeah, it's honestly kind of not a competition. And the stories are so. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying we stand. Yeah, and and the story like the LGBT part of the stories are usually integral to it. Like joy and everything everywhere being gay is very important to the story it's not just an afterthought you know yeah it's like i I really appreciated joy especially because like it's an aspect of why her and her mother's relationship is kind of going away but there's so much more going on with joy where it's like her entire outlook on life is going in a bad direction and it's like her sexuality and her mother not understanding that sexuality is an aspect it's 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 a ma- it's a large aspect but still it's like still there's so much more going on and i really appreciate that yeah the thing about uh, a majority of the movies that have lgbt representation is that uh i would say about 80 to like 90% of them are about lgbtq struggle and not just featuring lgbtq characters that are in their everyday life 
think we have to see them struggle, and which is another reason why I think Black Panther was so so successful, is that it portrayed black people in a way that was not they weren't seen as struggling because sure. like that when you think of movies that have that feature uh, black people heavily is that it's it's you know the it's an underdog stuff. story it's the oppression you know it's yeah. the yeah underdog story but you have movies like black panther that um they're the heroes in the story and so yeah. people really resonated with that and it's that's still a problem yeah, yeah. And it's if, also if, like if you okay. um if you have like any kind of if, if a, it seems like for the majority if you have a movie that features minorities it's them struggling or being oppressed in some way Mm-hmm. Which is why it's always refreshing when like A twenty four movies come out, or even like the new Evil Dead Rise, where like we had like a bunch of LGBTQ characters who and were they just still died off. Well, yeah, they all died, but like it's a horror movie, so everyone. But they die. were integral to the. Story. But, like they were integral, and mm-hmm. like their identity was not the subject of oppression. Right. In that movie, mm-hmm. I mean, everyone was oppressed because it's Evil Dead, but. Uh, and not to mention. Um, bodies, 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 where the main two characters are LGBTQ as well as. And it's not, a, I mean, it's like, there, it's the relationship, but it's not, right. like, it's not pointed out as the subject of bullying. Or it like just that. happens to be there. Right. Which is great. Which is why Talk to Me is also great. It, yeah, exactly. Because we got LGBTQ characters in there and everywhere just <laughs> existing. And that's uh, something I, I hope more movies do is that have minority characters exist and live their normal lives yeah, yeah. The, the like my, when i think of like movies that heavily feature minority characters my my mind immediately goes to like the movies where it's like a white teacher goes to like a, a struggling school and saves all of the kids lives oh yeah i hate that dangerous trope. minds <laughs> yeah there's like there's like 20 movies like that and it's <laughs> They're all so bad. (laughs) Which, I mean... Yeah. Well, would you guys like to move on from that um, sadness? Yeah. Or, like, disappointment? It's an important conversation, though. It's very important, yes. It's just a little disappointing that that's as good as we're doing. Yeah. It is great that it has a hit, a halt, all-time high. We're making steps. For sure. Like I uh, pass for straight. I can I can be in a movie longer than five minutes, dude. That that's why, <laughs> that's how I get to the world mostly. Is that I pass as a straight man. <laughs> um, speaking of a twenty four, this is an article from Empire, written by Tom Nicholson. A twenty four's dream scenario trailer sees Nicolas Cage go viral for appearing in people's dreams. Yes. It feels like Nicolas Cage is kind of everywhere these days. We've had the meta cage of the unbearable weight of massive, massive, excuse me, mm-hmm. massive talent and the vampiric cage of Renfield, not to mention the unexpected CGI super cage of The Flash, not to mention the victim cage of um, Dead by Daylight. <laughs> um, and now we're about to see Cage in his more dialed back intimate indie drama form as the first trailer has just dropped for A24's new comedy drama Dream Scenario in which the cage cage neons is spread into the world's subconscious. Um, I, sorry. I'm going to finish the article, and then please feel free to um, <laughs> add. 
Cage plays the mild-mannered and really quite dorky college professor Paul Matthews, the kind of guy who never makes much of a splash no matter where no matter where he goes. Until out of nowhere he starts appearing in people's dreams. First it's just a few, then it's more and more until and he's all he's up to all sorts. Sometimes he's just in the background, other times he's creeping people out or going full Freddy Krueger and belting them into the back of the head. Soon, the world's media wants to know who he is and why he's in everyone's heads. Paul reacts with an aw shucks kind of shrug. Why me? I don't know. I'm special, I guess. With Norwegian writer-director um, Christopher, um, excuse me for my pronunciation, um, Orgly, who deliciously, who's deliciously dark, sick of myself, also mind ideas about fame in the social media age, at the helm, at the... The rest of the cast includes Julianne Nicholson, Michael Sarah, Tim Meadows, Dylan um, Delua, Dylan Baker, and Kate Berlant. And the film was a breakout hit at this year's Toronto Film Festival. Dream Scenario is out in the U.S. from November 10th, but does not yet have a U.K. release date. I am so fucking goddamn excited for this movie. You have absolutely no idea. If you guys I did think, not listen I feel like to... Jake has an idea, but... Oh. If you guys did not listen to um, one of the previous episodes of um, Bottom of the Barrel, where Jake took us on a lovely ride through Pig, definitely yeah. go check that out. It was Pig. a great episode. Honestly, this doesn't seem like it's for me. Like, I, I don't know. I don't, what? Like, really? No, I'm joking. Of course it's for me. This is like literally <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> I was about like, to say, this is just Pig, but in Dream. Like A twenty four and Nicolas Cage, I, I this is like literally so. This is, I'm, I, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> and an A twenty four movie. Sure. Yes, it's gonna be produced by A twenty four. Isn't that what you just said? Yeah, yeah, it's oh, gonna yeah. be awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, it looks so fucking good, dude. Like, <laughs> um, a trailer has been released. If you guys want to watch it. When I first saw images of it and didn't know like what it was about at all, I thought it was John Travolta because he looks like <laughs> he looks like John Travolta in the fanatic. Um, okay. but it's not it's in the cage. Um but I'm so goddamn excited for this movie. Yeah. Like Nick Cage has been like he's been getting some hits here True. lately. He went through a really bad period of doing movies no one saw, but he's really making a comeback, I think. Yeah, he deserves it, one hundred percent. Oh yeah, it, this is amazing. Go ahead. I was just saying that this is amazing. You can continue. Oh, yeah. He, he, yeah. I'm so excited for this. I think uh, Gabe will have a lot to say for this next article. Um, this is from the Hollywood Reporter um, from Christy um, Pina. Barbie music producer says hit song I'm Just Ken almost had a much smaller role in the film. I'm Just Ken almost had a much smaller role in Greta Gerwig's record-breaking Barbie. In a new uh, featurette promoting the film's release on streaming, Gerwig music producer Mark Ronson, Ryan Gosling, Nikadi Gatwa, excuse me, and more of the cast and crew opened up about the making of the now-hit song. Quote, it went from being the song that was maybe going to be played somewhere in the film to the song that they built this epic battle around, well, end quote, Ronson said, explaining that when Gerwig asked him to write Gosling's Ken song, he, in, he quote, instantly knew what it should be. Once he wrote the initial version, Gerwig wanted more. 
quote, she's like, we love that song. Can you actually make it longer? So we're essentially scoring 11 minutes just around the Ken song, end quote. Elsewhere in the three-minute video, writer-director shared the writer-director shared that for the beach-off scene, she was inspired by the Nutcracker, which she loved growing up. Quote, the battle between the toy soldiers and the rats, the absurdity of it, that is something I was thinking about when we were creating this battle, end quote, the Oscar nominee said. Gosling and Gatwa, who play two different Kens, explain how the men don't fully understand what they're doing in the long scene towards the end of the film, and how their knowledge of what battles are or how they work is very limited. Quote, they have zero information about war is. It's like the telephone game from the real world. It's been distorted by the time it gets back to them, and they're just kind of doing their best, but it's really the worst, Gosling said. Yeah, I, God, I love that movie so much. Um, <laughs> and like, I understand that Ken is not the focus of the movie. God, is it fun to watch? Um, especially that uh, the, the I'm just Ken scene. It's so fun, and uh, it's it, I can see how it's very inspired by musicals and specifically the Nutcracker. Um, because of just how it's, I mean, the cho- the choreography alone is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Have either of you guys seen Barbie? Yes, yeah, I loved it. Okay, okay, yeah. I think that um, without you know just going into the whole movie, <laughs> uh, I think that the movie is a really fresh something. It just felt so super like new i loved like all the practical effects and and the the aesthetics and the artistry like it really felt like my eyes just haven't seen something like that in a very long time and i loved it yeah Yeah, um, really go ahead sorry yeah um i really think ken had a point for a while there what'd you say (laughs) (laughs) jake is the misogynist of the group somehow Somehow, what? How is it somehow? I think it's very obviously that I would be the misogynist of the group. Oh my god! <laughs> I guess someone's got to do it. I took a drink. You can't say that. Yeah, but movie was. I guess amazing. someone's got to do it. <laughs> I guess I, it's got to be someone. Might as well be me. <laughs> That's going on the without context post. <laughs> it's just a picture of Alex Jones. Oh no! Oh my god! You know Alex Jones? No, I'm not gonna. It's Alex Jones has some really good points, guys. It's the Alex Jones from In- Inside Job. Did you? Okay, so um, yes. Um, this is a side note and and not at all related. But speaking of Alex Jones, um, apparently my father, uh believes that they are putting chemicals in the food to make people depressed. Oh? Did he share this information with you? He told my sister, who then told my mom, who then told me. Nice. Yeah. And he apparently is going to study psychology and health or like health wellness or something. Interesting. I want to end the podcast now. Yeah, like like I said, speaking of Alex Jones. Can we move on from that? Yes, we can move on. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry, guys. Move on from Jake's misogyny. Um, you can never move on from it. It is always there. It's going to be such an issue for you. 
<laughs> All right, this is an article from Cinema Blend um, by Carly Levi. Uh, Tom Holland's Spider Man trilogy has been given an official name, and it makes sense. Uh, when fans dis- distinguish the different Spider Man trilogies, they tend to use phrases like the Sam Raimi trilogy or the Mark Webb series. The movies. Um, in each of the respective franchises are definitely distinct from their counterparts, but they're still somewhat hard to classify. Well, that process just became somewhat easier because the Marvel Cinematic Universe set trilogy of flicks led by Tom Holland has been given an official name. And when you think of it, uh, this moniker makes a lot of sense. When Spider-Man Homecoming released in 2017, it marked Peter Parker's first solo flick in the MCU and set the tone for the titles that would be bestowed upon its sequels. Six years later, we're, st- we're now seeing another major ramification on that part. In the book, Spider-Man... Oh, God. <laughs> In the book, Spider-Man No Way Home, the art of the movie via screen rants, uh, Marvel Studios collectively refers to the Tom Holland-led movies as the Home Trilogy. The studio head of visual development, Ryan... Uh, please explain. Um, minor things? I'm so- so sorry. Uh, <laughs> refers to it as such. Quote, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies starring Tobey Maguire were really the entrance into modern superhero cinema in a lot of ways. And both Andrew Garfield in the Amazing Spider-Man films and Tom Holland in our home trilogy have only enhanced the legacy of the silver screen web slinger across two decades. End quote. It absolutely makes sense why home would be a fitting name for the trilogy. On the obvious note, the term is used in each one of the three installments in some form or fashion. However, Peter Parker's home in New York has always been pivotal to the flicks. Uh, In terms of what's happening with the fourth MCU Spider-Man movie, the production seems to be in its early stages. While Kevin Feige says says a story has been set, meetings have been seemingly on hold due to the writer's strike. Once a resolution has been set for the ongoing strike, I'd like to believe Marvel Studios will get the ball rolling on the highly anticipated film. As if he's not part of the problem. Anyways, um, that's the article. So does that mean that the next movie is being called uh, Spider-Man Homosexual? God, I hope. Sorry, Zendaya. <laughs> she's not going to be featuring in this movie. Hey, I mean, she doesn't know him anymore, so he can he can start living a life. I guess that I guess I realized that I haven't seen any of those three movies. Oh, so that probably did. Do you want me? Do you want me to? Do you want us to explain? Or? Sure, go ahead. Okay. Um, to resolve No Way Home, uh, basically... Um, Did that have something to do with Doctor Strange? Yeah. Doctor Strange, like, um, puts a spell on the world, to, and they forget who Peter Parker is. I like, everybody. Um, and so, now, no one knows who he is. So, he can live whatever life he wants to. It's true. They could completely detach him from the MCU if they wanted to. He can become a homosexual. Yeah, I mean, Miles Morales has been like heavily hinted at <laughs> being in the next movie, so it's true. <laughs> but anyway, that's um, interesting topics that I wish we could go further into. If not, strike for sure. Yeah. Um, in the same vein as uh, uh, Spider-Man and uh, um, Marvel Comics. Uh, Todd McFarlane reveals Spawn's script was almost completed before the WGA strike. Oh. 
Um, really? Spawn creator Todd McFarlane recently revealed that the writers behind the upcoming film reboot were only 30 pages away from finishing the latest draft of the screenplay when the WGA strike began. Quote, we were in the middle of writing the script, then the writer's strike came. Um, that uh, Todd, excuse me, McFarlane told comicbook.com. Quote, so that basically came to a screeching halt, if you will. But they were pretty far along in it, so I'm assuming that they've been giving it a lot of thought during the strike. They know what they're going to write, the last 30 pages, which is all they need to finish. And so as soon as the strike's over, I'm assuming they're going to finish that up quickly. McFarland continued, quote, we'll do some rewrites. We'll go into Hollywood. We'll find a buyer and maybe find a couple buyers, get into a bidding war. And then we'll come back out and make the announcement that says, we've got the funding, the studio, the production date all lined up. It's go time. Um, end quote. The latest draft of Spawn is being written by Malcolm Spellman, um, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Scott Silver from Joker and Matthew Mixum, who boarded the project in October 2022. Um, Blumhouse head teased um, Spawn release window. Um, Blumhouse Productions has been involved with the upcoming reboot since 2017. In a recent interview, Blumhouse CEO Jason Blum stated that Spawn reboot is still, quote, very, very, is still in, quote, very, very active development, end quote, at the company, and that he predicts audiences will, quote, actually see a Spawn movie in 25. No promises, but that's my prediction. I did not know anything about this. I don't know. That's the point yeah. of this uh, little episode. Oh. Well, that's dope. I, I mean, good for them, like, holding out, you know, on the, with the strike and everything. Yeah. I mean, Blumhouse, as far as I know, like, is one of the proponents of, like, helping everyone get paid and everything. For sure, um, I didn't. I didn't mention this article is published by CBR, um, and it was only published twenty two hours ago. Oh, oh, so this is very recent news. Oh. Hmm. that's cool though. I mean, we haven't, we haven't really had a spawn property in a long time. Yeah, and like like hearing that, like um, like kind of like it, like reminding me of like the process of like selling your script and like how you have to like sell it to multiple companies, do a bidding, and that it's like. I don't know. It's like it's 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 interesting, and I wonder if like, especially with like how things are being changed, I wonder if like stuff like that's gonna. I, I wonder like if they're gonna look at like the process of that and how scripts are sold to companies and stuff like that. Yeah. 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 So, like, very exciting. Hey, hey I own a production studio, so if you wanted to sell your script, uh, <laughs> we can be able to help you. Do. You don't exactly have the money to buy a script. Myself All right, I've got another article for you guys. Uh, I think this one's pretty interesting because I did not know about this. Um, this is an article from EmpireOnline.com uh, written by James White. Uh, Guillermo del Toro nearly directed a Star Wars film written by David Goyer. To the list of great unmade del Toro projects, already a pile of scripts so high it's taller than Ron Perlman. We can add Star Wars because according to David S. Goyer, who appeared on the um, Happy, Sad, Confused podcast, he wrote a script for a film that's set in a galaxy far, far away for Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro. Quote, I wrote an unproduced Star Wars movie that del Toro was going to direct, end quote, Goyer told host Josh Horowitz. Quote, it was about four years ago. Uh, Goyer wouldn't be drawn to the script's focus, adding only that it was, quote, a cool script, end quote, but Del Toro appeared to confirm via social media that it would have seen him finally tackle a Jabba the Hutt story. Um, 
quote, this is not real. This is me as a fat geek just geeking out and talking about it. And quote, he told Yahoo Movies back in 2015, quote, I would do the sort of Godfather saga about what Jabba the Hutt had to go through to gain control. One, because it's the character that looks most like me and I like him. I love the idea of a hut type of mafia, a very complex coup. I just love the character, end quote. Clearly, it was a little more real than Guillermo was willing to let on. And that wasn't the only Star Wars script that Goyer, who is slightly busy with his own expansive space opera thanks to Apple TV Plus series Foundation, hinted at. Quote, I also wrote an unproduced, I have a scriptment for an Origins of the Jedi movie, also for Star Wars, that I wrote that took place, to, uh, excuse me, 25,000 years before the first Star Wars film, end quote. If that sets alarm um, blocks, I don't know. That set alarms, if that sets alarm bells ringing in your brain, it might be because that sounds a lot like what became of the historical Star Wars movie that James Manigold is attached to make. Which we now know is a show that we will not say the name. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I thought it was kind of funny that he, he wanted to make a mafia movie out yeah, of Jabba about the Hutt. Jabba the Hutt. That's wild. <laughs> That sounds like a like that sounds like a crackpot theory that you like hear randomly. <laughs> I mean, it was on a podcast. Yeah, but like, Joe <laughs> just like I don't know, that, that, that's 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 such an interesting combination. Just like Guillermo del Toro and like Star Wars with Jabba the Hutt specifically. That's that is interesting. Yeah, wild. All I can think of is Baby Jabba the Hutt in the animated Star Wars: The Clone Wars movie. I can't. I can't really speak. I've seen. I think a total of four Star Wars movies. I haven't seen not a one all the way through. Yeah, I've only seen A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, uh, most of Force Awakens, um, Last Jedi. I don't care. Yeah, and I'll, and also it's part of Disney, so they don't pay their writers and actors fairly. So who gives a shit? Frick you guys. Yeah. Um, in more of the realm of horror, uh, we'll go back to Cinema Blend for a article um, by Ryan Labie. The full story: Why? Please correct me if I say this wrong. Um, Neve Campbell. Ne- Neve. Nev Campbell left the Scream franchise. They weren't paying her enough. Valid. Um, in the world of horror movies, few names are are as iconic as Neve. Nev. Nev. Excuse me. Nev Campbell's. Her portrayal of Sydney Prescott in the Scream franchise made her a genre legend and the epitome of 90s Final Girl. Fans of the series were delighted when it was announced that the Wild Things actress would be returning for the fifth installment, Scream oh, 2022. <laughs> However, I love how they say Wild Things. Right. Sorry. It's all right. Great movie. However, much to everyone's surprise, she decided to depart the beloved franchise before the release of Scream 6. Today, we delve into the story behind Campbell's decision to bid farewell to one of the best horror movie franchises, at least for now. Um, when Nev, Nev, sorry, not going to get that right ever. When Nev announced her return to the fifth outing in the Slasher series with a delightful social media post, fans were thrilled. The tough heroine who had triumphed over ghost-based killer in numerous encounters had been a vital part of the franchise since its beginnings in 1996. 
Her comeback alongside original stars David Arquette and Courtney Cox further enriched the film with nostalgia and heightened the already intense anticipation for this much-anticipated prequel. The original cast's return paid off, helping set up a new cast of characters and rating and ranking in the box office, though we did see the demise of one long-running character when a sixth movie mm-hmm. was announced. It seemed like a no-brainer that the remaining legacy cast would return, but we were wrong. Um, the decision not to return was not an easy one. The 2022 reunion of the original trio in the Westboro in Westboro garnered massive success success at the box Westboro. office. Westboro. This is what it says. Westboro. Okay. Um, still, the party of five uh, veteran initially said she was waiting on a script before con- confirming her return. Still, Campbell uh, later delivered the disappointing news that she wouldn't reprise her role in the sixth movie due to an unfortunate salary disagreement. At the time, the 48-year-old actress openly discussed the reason behind her decision, saying, quote, Sadly, I won't be making the next Scream film. As a woman, I have, have had to work extremely hard in my career to establish my value, especially when it comes to Scream. I felt the offer that was presented to me did not equate to the value um, I have brought to the franchise. It's been very difficult. It's been a very difficult decision to move on. To all my Scream fans, I love you. You've always been so incredibly supportive of me. I'm forever grateful to you and what and to, and to what this franchise has given me over the past 25 years. The impact of Neb's Neb's absence on Scream 6. While the absence of the series leader disappointed longtime fans, Scream 6 uh, featured beloved characters like OG member Courtney Cox's Gail Weathers and the return of Scream 4 fan favorite Hayden Pan. Panettiere as Kirby Reed. The movie received critical acclaim and fan approval. Despite initial plans to include Sydney in the story, the New York setting made her absence feel natural, reducing its impact compared to if it were set in Westboro. But with Scream 7 already having um, already in the works, albeit with a new director, the question arises, could uh, Nev Campbell have been featured in the series? Yeah, I'm it. Go ahead, sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the poster for Scream 7, which it says London is calling. I, yeah, this, this situation's interesting. It's like, like, companies not paying, like, people who've, like, done, like, essentially, like, are, like, some of the, fa- like, people that made the franchise. And like how those like deals are sort of like struck out is like I it's it's interesting because like I I barely know anything about like the wages that like are supposed to be and like what is good offer what is a bad offer and it's like hard to really figure out like what exactly like the situation even is. Right. Well, like you're saying, like not paying your lead actress that's been in every single movie, like. I mean, I, I she had a right to walk if they weren't paying her fairly. Um, yeah, she is. I mean, at this point, she is the franchise. Like her and Courtney Cox. Um, spoiler alert! Uh, does anyone care about spoilers for Scream Five? No. Nah. Okay. Well, uh, for audio watchers, uh, spoilers for Scream Five, real quick. Um, Dewey dies, so David Arquette's no longer part of the series. So it's just it was just her and Courtney Cox left, um, and yeah, they brought back Kirby, but they I I feel like they did not do her justice at all, um, and 
I thought her character was going to go a completely different way, which would have been interesting, but it didn't go. Um, uh, yeah, I feel like Scream 6. Uh, I did like it. Um, and I feel so Nev's absence is part of that, but also, I don't know, it's a tough thing because, like, I understand moving on from the original characters. I mean, they moved on from the original setting, which I think is fine. Um, but, like, I don't know, when you have a, when you have a, a series that is so synonymous with one character, it's kind of hard to move on from. Sure. Yeah. Like, Nev, she's in every movie, you know, obviously new one um and like it, it's it's basically like in the same vein of like halloween ha- not having Lori in them like that's why they kept bringing her back in all of the movies that like they knew that she was the halloween has become synonymous with Lori and michael sure um, with, how much and then you have like franchises like friday the 13th where it's like debating one um, how much time are we at? Uh, about an hour. Um, how much time do we? How much longer do you guys want to go? Uh, that'd be up to uh, Jake and Daniel. Um, um, I'm good for a bit longer. Yeah. Okay. Um, I've got a couple more articles. Okay. Cool. Daniel, you say you just have to be done by one, right? Yeah. So if you want to do like another hour, I like I'm good. Oh, it won't take another hour, I swear. <laughs> um, this is an article from MovieWeb.com um, by an article by Cameron Bolton. Uh, VHS 85 trailer teases the return of the found footage horror anthology. A new trailer for VHS 85 teases segments from the directors of Hellraiser and The Black Phone. Um, a new trailer for VHS 85 has been unleashed. The new installment of the found footage horror series goes back to 1985, a time when people actually used used VHS tapes outside of horror movies like in the, like this series in the ring of course VHS 85 isn't the first entry in a series going back to the past as before this we had VHS 94 and VHS 99 no doubt no doubt can probably figure out what um what year those films were set based on the title the sixth installment in the VHS franchise VHS 85 will take audiences quote into the grim underbelly of the forgotten 1980s, end quote. Uh, For those unaware, the way the VHS films work is is that uh, each segment of footage, each segment is footage on a VHS tape that is played by a character in a framing device. Some anthology films like Creepshow and Trick or Treat all have the segments made by the same writer and director. The VHS series combines the work of multiple filmmakers, like Scare Package and the ABCs of Death. Um, the filmmakers, be- one of the directors for VHS 85 is David uh, Bruckner, Hellraiser 2022, uh, The Night House, who will also be um, returning to the series in a directing capacity since the first film. There's also Scott Derrickson, The Black Phone and Sinister, Gigi Saul uh, Guerrero, uh, Bingo Hell and Culture Shock, Natasha, Natasha uh, Kermani from Lucky, and Mike P. Nelson, Wrong Turn 2021, and The Domestics. In the future, you might also see them follow up on their follow up their work with a spinoff to VHS. For instance, Bruckner was originally supposed to direct a spinoff to his segment in the original VHS Amateur Night, but uh, became preoccupied with with a since canceled Friday the Thirteenth film. 
Greg Bishop ended up directing the spinoff, which was titled Siren, and it features uh, Hannah uh, Fearman reprising her role as Lily. Likewise, Jason Eisner, who would um, also extend extend his uh, Slumber Party Alien Abduction short from VHS 2 into a feature film. It was titled Kids vs. Aliens, but unlike Siren, it didn't feature any actors carrying over from the VHS series. VHS 85 is scheduled to have its world premiere this week at Fantastic Fest on September 22nd. That is today. Um, no, that's t- that was yesterday. Excuse me. Other horror films uh, playing during the same festival include Stop Motion, which is also having its world premiere, and When Evil Lurks. General audiences will be able to watch VHS 85 on October 6th, so long as they're subscribed to the streaming site Shudder. Until then, you can watch VHS 94, VHS 99, and Kids vs. Aliens on the same site as well. Any excitement for VHS 85? Uh, yeah. It's a series I don't really know much about, but looking it up, it's like, uh, I, might want, I might look at this. It's yeah. a very interesting anthology uh, movie series. I've only seen the first one. I've heard the second one is amazing. The first one is, like it mentioned, um, each segment is created by a different filmmaker um, set in a giant framing device. Um, each of the... Um, Segments and short films in the first one were kind of schlocky. Siren was really good. Um, and I think Amateur Night was pretty good. But um, the rest of them were kind of schlocky. And you can really tell that they were made by different filmmakers. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm excited for the director lineup. That, yes, um, definitely. The Night House is amazing. Um, I thought the new Hellraiser was okay, though. Um, but like, there's obvious, clear talent behind that. For sure. Um, and Scott Derrickson, of course, oh, you yeah. know, made one of my favorite, if not my favorite horror movie of all time, <laughs> Sinister. Um, I knew yeah. you would get excited when I mentioned Sinister. A Black Phone's also really good. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen any of them. There's a dog barking outside. There's a doggy. All right, guys. I have the very last article for you all. I think this one's kind of be kind of bizarre because it kind of I had to do a double take of this article whenever I found it. So this is from EmpireOnline.com as well um, by James White. Um, the title of this article is Ready for Paranormal Activity, The Play. With pop culture phenomenon Stranger Things already spreading its upside downy tendrils into the stage this year, word arrives of another popular title making the jump to trending the boards. According to The Hollywood Reporter, Paranormal Activity is in development as a play. Oren Pelly's original micro-budget chiller starred Micah Sloat and Katie Featherston as a couple troubled by some demonic goings-on, all captured by security cameras, phones, and camcorders. The movie made for a tight $15,000 with extra for finishing touches and marketing when Paramount picked it up has one of the most profit has... Uh, has one of the most profitable ever made, earning $193.4 million and spawning a franchise that has, has so far earned close to a billion dollars. Producer Simon Friend, who, is, who has movie-to-stage experience with The Da Vinci Code and Life of Pi, will oversee the new potential play while Levi Holloway, whose most recent work was the horror-tinged Broadway show Grey House, is developing the script. 
The aim is to launch this one in the West End, but there is no date set yet since um, the paranormal play is still in an early stage. Interesting. I did not know that there was a thing for turning horror movies into plays. Or movies into plays. What's that? Yeah. Interesting. Or music. I I did know about the Carrie musical and I've I've seen some horror theater but it specifically was like non-American like a lot of like Japanese uh theater has horror elements to it um which is really cool but it, I've never heard of a like a, a movie just being turned into like a straight play like that's very interesting especially with how much horror depends on like camera angles and lighting hiding like what you're seeing visually I that's got to be very interesting to see on stage. Yeah, like uh, it's popular for a lot of movies turned in musical. Yeah, just to be mm-hmm. like a a regular play like that. Yeah, especially because like it's supposed to be like because like Paranormal was about to be like security footage. Like, are they just cutting yeah, that the play? Yeah, it's entirely found footage. That's 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 interesting because it's like it's just but... the movie playing on a TV screen on a stage. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there yeah. are ways to frame it so that you can be like, these moments are taking place, this is the footage, and these moments are the current day people watching the footage, and there's there's ways to do it with theater that, like, makes sense, but it's definitely, like, something you wouldn't expect, and I wonder if it strengthens the material, or if it just, like, is serviceable, like, it just works, you know? Sure. Yeah. Just I imagine... definitely thought that um, some of our hosts being theater people would enjoy that. Yeah, yeah, like just imagine, like for like the security camera, like moving position, they just move the entire set on stage. (laughs) Just put a giant revolve. Yeah, it's a revolving stage. Like that. That's 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 really weird. Like I don't. I'm like I'd I'd have to see it before I had faith in it. Sure. It's just uh, it's only a black box play. That could be cool. It could be an immersive experience, kind of get the audience like inches oh, away from the action. Kind of like a 4D I mean, experience almost. Yeah. Honestly, like like a lot of the like effects of like from the first paranormal like movie, they could probably easily do, especially with like um the cabinets flying open, like the blanket being moved and someone being like like making it look like someone's being dragged. Like there are some things they could do practically that makes sense. Like it's not too crazy, especially because like there's some possession, so just have like an actor just be possessed. Like, I feel like most of the paranormal activity, the first one was all practical effects. Yeah. Oh, I guess except for like the footprints on the like the hoof prints on the ground. Um, I think most all of it was practical. So like it's it's definitely doable, but it's just like I feel like the overall framing of the movies like they might have to drop that. Sure. Well, that is all of my articles for um, our episode today. Uh, any uh, closing remarks from our hosts? Any comments? Anything else they want to add to? Support the strike. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Nick- we support the strike. I'm so excited for Nicolas Cage. I'm so yeah. excited. <laughs> yeah. Studios, pay your writers and actors fairly so that we can move on things that we like love to do be like a24 yeah be like a24, be like a24. just be a24 a24 sure. should just own everything <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. Yes. Gabe, you want to uh, close us out? Sure. Um, well, guys, thanks for listening. Um, follow us on Instagram and Facebook, Bottom of the Barrel. Uh, send us an email, bottomofthebarrelpod at gmail.com. Two L's on email and Instagram. Uh, follow our personal socials. Uh, check out the BMC Films page. Uh, look out for the cast party update. Um, and I think that's it. Yeah. Thank you all for listening and see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Katie. Thank you for Katie for doing this, hosting. You're so welcome. Thank you for hosting. It's very interesting. See you later.